Hey everyone, this is Christine. Hey, and I'm Jenny. And we're the producers of The Gross Show. You probably haven't heard us before because truthfully, we are not normally on this side of the studio <laughs> here with Megan. First, we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously. We'll let Kip do the honors here, so we'll turn it over to him. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads, and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Welcome to the Gross Show 100th episode special edition with Guy Kawasaki. We're going to talk about Facebook Live, Snapchat versus Instagram, what most companies mess up when they're getting started, and what's Guy going to do when he's done with social media? This is more on today's episode. I'm Kip Bodner, and this is The Gross Show. Because this is our 100th episode, we got some reader questions, and uh, the first one is from Alfred, who works over at Buffer, awesome company, and he wants to know what you think about Snapchat versus Instagram stories. Like, Instagram kind of copied sure. a prime Snapchat feature. Who's going to win? What's going to play out there? I prefer Instagram stories. It's because of my familiarity with Instagram, period, and so it. Instagram has an advantage uh, with me, and I like the fact that the stores are sort of more permanent. I can save pictures. Uh, I also, I love knowing how many followers I have, and I love knowing how many people watch the story <laughs> or looked at a picture. And I, I think that's a significant advantage. If I were a brand and I knew I had 5 million followers on Instagram, and I have no idea what I have on Snapchat, and I knew how many people looked at my story and my pictures on Instagram, and I have no idea on Snapchat, well, guess what? Uh, Those are some pretty significant advantages. Yeah, I mean, and Instagram executed the feature really well. Like, it it works exceptionally well. Uh, Yeah. I think, think, you know, you make a strong point there that it, the discoverability of Instagram is just far better. I find, I don't know, by itself, I find myself using Instagram to discover content more than almost any other platform. It used to be Twitter for me, and now I discover a ton of content on Instagram. And that's the big challenge for me is that Snapchat, you just don't have that discoverability really at all. Yeah, and and I, I just could not wrap my 62-year-old mind around Snapchat. And, <laughs> you know, I wasn't hitting hitting my pictures with these filters and I wasn't putting dog ears on my face and, you know, all that kind of stuff that I see my kids do. That was just like not me, right? Totally. So so for me, you know, maybe if kids still want to do that and that's the sort of design center of Snapchat, then Instagram really hasn't addressed that stuff. But if the design center is, a semi-permanent or fleeting story that you compile during the day, then Instagram <laughs> fulfills my need for what I need to do <laughs> in that design center 
Uh, I don't know what else to say. Well, yeah, no, and, and, you know, I think for folks who maybe don't care about this stuff as much details, maybe you or I or other folks do, it's, you know, Instagram bought uh, a company a couple weeks ago that was a search company to help enable better discoverability, not, excuse me, not Instagram, Snapchat, to help improve search and discoverability on Snapchat. And so you wonder if, if that's their core differentiator and they're going to start eroding that, then, man, it's, it really opens the door for Instagram to... To kind of copy, yeah. to copy them and kind of beat them at their own game, especially you yeah. know, that they have that Facebook technology infrastructure that can just build wonderful, reliable applications that just work. Well, you know, there is the non-trivial advantage of having one and a half billion customers <laughs> in your in the same company, right? I mean, right. Certain advantages there that you could uh, target them and and all that. So. And you know, they got that little WhatsApp company too that uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that's that, got that, a bunch of, of detail, use yeah. as well. Yeah. So you know you you have to you have to respect Facebook for what it is. I mean, it is the eight thousand pound gorilla. Well, yeah, and um, so and so speaking of that, you know, to me, I think if you're if you unless you've been living under a rock, you you can see that Facebook has made a massive push into live video. And like they're yeah. they're all in on live video, and I know you've you know you've experimented with Facebook Live a lot. What like what have you learned? What do you think people out there should be doing and thinking about when it comes to Facebook Live video? Facebook Live video is the most powerful social media platform for me by far right now, and it Why? has, for example, uh, you know many people are always going crazy about Facebook algorithms changing right so what gets into people's timeline and organic is going down and you know the sky is falling and all that and and i'm just having an out-of-body experience with my own facebook efforts because i don't know you can tell me what hubspot's uh, numbers are but basically i have 350,000 followers on facebook and in any given week my reach is about a million. So my reach is three times what my followers are. And it's, unless I'm really missing the boat here, what that's saying is you have 350,000 people who have voluntarily followed you, and somehow I'm getting in front of another 700,000 people. So, man, what's wrong with this algorithm? <laughs> <laughs> Looks good to me. I also post very controversial things. Uh, I am a true liberal, so I believe in Hillary Clinton. I believe in gun control. I believe in vaccination. I don't think Mexicans are rapists. I don't think Muslims are uh, terrorists. That's like Uh, a million views right there, just those topics, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just not even counting the trolls, that's a million views. (laughs) Exactly. So... So now I tried an experiment, not necessarily cogently, objectively, scientifically, but a few weeks ago I was on vacation for two weeks in Santa Barbara staying in a college dorm. And so for about two weeks, I really did hardly anything Facebook Live. And my reach went from a million to 400,000. So it became roughly one-to-one to the number of followers. And so, you know, again... I'm not saying I'm totally scientific and everything, but when I do Facebook Live, I can reach three times more than my followers. When I don't do Facebook Live, I reach 1x my followers. 
And so, you know, my parents didn't raise the dummy. <laughs> it, it, it's telling me, go live on Facebook. What am I missing? Yeah, and you know, and, on, honestly, we've 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 seen similar results. And even what's what's crazy to me about it, even if you so you recorded a video and just uploaded it to Facebook, the live video yeah. still drastically outperforms that recorded video. Well, yeah. So the pecking order for me is, you know, there are some really stupid people who <laughs> upload only to YouTube and then they use the embed code from YouTube and they post to Facebook, right? So those are the knuckle draggers. <laughs> and, and then three times better than that is uploading the same video natively to Facebook. And then, you know, I don't know, three or more times better than that is going live. So, so what am I missing here? I mean, it, it's so how do you make the live work. stuff interesting? Like, that's what everybody wants to know. Like, oh, shit, all right, I got to go live now. Like, how, how do I actually make uh, that video good? You know what? If, if somebody's asking that question, they're idiots. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So th- these are the kinds of things that I do. I do tours. You know, this is where I am today. I do behind the scenes. This is, you know, behind the scenes at a restaurant. This is how a restaurant operates. I do keynote speeches. So I take my PowerPoint keynote speeches and I do a keynote speech live, just as if I'm talking to an audience. So that's another thing. Um, Now, Facebook Live is going to have it where you can invite someone on stage with you. Mm -hmm. So I could be interviewing someone anywhere else in the world. Imagine Guy and Gary Vaynerchuk, Guy and Ariana Huffington, Guy and Martha Stewart, Guy and The Rock. I mean, not that I know Martha Stewart or The Rock. but The Rock is pretty hot right now, too. Yeah, so all of that is live. And it, you know, name me a business that shouldn't go live. I mean, let's let's take let's say you're United Airlines and you're sitting there, you're thinking like, what could we do Facebook Live? Well, duh, freaking everything. <laughs> yeah, you could give us a tour of a 787. Like, how many people have seen a 787? You could give us a tour of, you know, the behind the scenes in a 787. How is food prepared on a 787? You could go to the United Airlines maintenance facility and show us how planes are maintained. I mean, you know, take us to the take us to the data center where you show all the people controlling planes and you see all the planes, you know, on this big map. I mean, I gotta tell, I like when people say, you know, we don't know what to do live. That's interesting. That's an IQ test, man. Jeez. <laughs> so, so one last live question. How much do you yeah. interact with the people who are commenting and, and everything, which is just like the unique aspect of that, right? Like, do you incorporate that a yeah. lot into the content? How's that work? Well, uh, it's difficult to do that because I, I'm not like Martha Stewart and I have like a crew, right? <laughs> right. Really, it's just just me. And so uh, I, I ask for questions. And usually what I do is I have one system broadcasting the live and I have an iPad signed in as if it's anybody else so I can see the comments flowing in, right? And so this this iPad, this second screen is so that I know what people are actually seeing as opposed to what I think I'm broadcasting. And it's also for a way for me to see the comments. And the other thing I do, which, you know, is quasi-cheating is, like in my mind, and I don't know if I'm right, but <laughs> my mind says that Facebook is going to promote 
Facebook Live that is getting a lot of engagement. Oh, absolutely. Right? Okay, so I want to get a lot of engagement so that my lives are more promoted. So, duh, what do I do? So the first thing I do when I start a live is I say, people, tell me if the video and the audio is good. Now, 99% of the time, I know it's good. <laughs> I, just want, I just want people to say, yes, it's good. Because as far as I know, I think Facebook counts that as an interaction. Right. Right? And then I ask people, tell me what city you're in. Now, I am sort of curious about what city they're in. But, you know, I would say 80% of the value of asking that. So when people say I'm in Croatia and I'm in Serbia and I'm in London and I'm in Tokyo and I'm in Sydney and I'm in Melbourne, that's more interaction. So I'm trying to make people interact so that more people see it so that, you know, it becomes an upward spiral. Well, and you, um, and you get them interact with each other like, hey, I'm in Sydney too and all that stuff, which yes, is uh, yes. valuable. So a few minutes ago, you talked a little bit about you publish a heck of a lot of stuff on Facebook. I think there are some yeah. people, there's this classic quantity versus quality debate. Like, why do you publish so much? Is, is it really the best way to do it? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> That's a fair answer. <laughs> you know, it seems to work for me. Um, I, I, well, first of all, I am my own brand, right? So if, if I were a United Airlines or a Coca-Cola or a Mercedes or whatever, I can't do the kind of stuff that Guy Kawasaki does. Guy Kawasaki can post about vaccination, Hillary, <laughs> Trump, Trump telling, you know, the Khan family to be quiet, you know, whatever it is. I can do whatever I want. Obviously, consumer brands can't do that. And um, it's, it's myself posting. It's Peg Fitzpatrick helping me. She also posts. And I have another virtual assistant. My system is that I spend a lot of time finding stuff that I think is post-worthy. And I use a system where I share it to a reminders file. This reminders file is synced via iCloud. So it's on my phone, my tablet, and my computers. And my virtual assistant also shares the reminders file. So I may find something that's very interesting, but I don't want to post it right now or it's 3 a.m. and I, am, you know, I can't sleep, but I, mm-hmm. I am cogent enough to find something good, but not cogent enough to post it. So all I will do is add it to my to-do list in my reminders file, and then either I or my virtual assistant will see that later and say, okay, Guy said post this. I'll post it and then mark it done and it comes off the to-do list. So between those three things, me, virtual assistant, and Peg Fitzpatrick, it's 15 or 20 a day, every day. Seven days a week. Basically seven days a week. Wow. Uh, well, so Brittany Berger from Mention uh, actually asked that exact question, what your automation process was. So Brittany, now that you're listening, Guy just gave you an awesome, <laughs> awesome rundown of what his process is. So if you want to do it, you, you, you know the background right now. Uh, yeah. And, and so do you ever, you know, why 15 or 20? Is that just the max you can do? Or have you found like anything more than that just is, is overkill? Um, a lot of it is just, I don't think there are 15 or 20, you know, postable things a day. Right. <laughs> There's not that much interesting that. stuff. I mean, it's, 
Yeah, there really isn't. I, I mean, thank God for Donald Trump. Now, wow, I would, I would be down to five a day if it weren't for Donald Trump. So I don't know what I'm going to do after the election. I'm going to have withdrawals. I won't be able to, you know, post stuff, and trolls won't be attacking me. I, my engagement is going to go down. Um, we, we, yeah, by the you're way, just going to be crawled up in a ball somewhere, bored. I don't know. It's going to be tough. I, I don't know. Like, what's going to happen? Uh, so another power tip I will offer your readers is, in Facebook in particular, you know, when you encounter a troll or an ignoramus or what I call a trignoramus, <laughs> there, like there, there, are, there are several possible ways you can deal with. One is to ban the person. Can't see what you do. They can't post your timeline anymore, post comments. So that's option one. Option two is to just simply delete that comment. Option three on Facebook is you hide the comment. And I would like to suggest to you that the optimal thing to do is to hide the comment. When you hide the comment, what it means is that the trignoramus still sees the comment on your timeline. The followers of the trignoramus also will see the comment, but nobody else does. So here's the advantage of that. By hiding it, most of the non-trignoramus people will never see that heinous comment. That's a good thing. Also, the trignoramus doesn't know that you hit it because the trignoramus still sees it. The trignoramus would have to go in as another person on Facebook to see that his trignoramic account, uh, posting is still there. And the trignoramus's friends can also go and interact. So all of this means that it's the best of both worlds. Again, I want engagement. I'm not saying I want positive, supportive, you know, wonderful, you, you know, reinforcing engagement. I want any kind of engagement. And so by doing this, I do not ban a person because that troll could provide engagement, albeit negative engagement, but engagement is engagement. So the key here is that the trigonoramus is still trolling me. The trigonoramus's friends are still engaging. Most people don't see all this garbage, and I get more engagement, which means, ironically, that the trigonoramus and the trigonoramus's followers are helping me get my libtard agenda in front of more people. <laughs> so right? I mean, yeah, you, know, you are right, and is the, right? the devious gaming of the Facebook platform. And for folks listening at home. If you were unclear, the word of the day is trignoramus. You please use that in a sen <laughs> sentence. Hashtag uh, trignoramus. <laughs> hashtag yeah. trignoramus. Uh, tag guy. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think that's interesting, and it's funny. I think so many people spend so much trying time trying not to have any of those comments exist about them yeah. or their company that they never even think yeah. about how you actually deal with them. And the, the the reality is, in of trying to avoid them, they're just becoming bland and mediocre and, and just well, irrelevant. Well, at, at some level, I mean, you're talking to a person who is probably a few standard deviations beyond what most people would deal with and who who is probably a few standard deviations, deviations beyond most people's slyness. But <laughs> um, I think it's a pretty sly thing. And, and so, you know... I, and I, I freely, I'm not only admit this, I've documented what I do. I posted it on LinkedIn that this is exactly what I do. 
because I take a certain sadistic delight in thinking that I want all these trolls and trigonoramuses to read what I'm doing so that at some point they say to themselves, well, I can rip guy, but then I'm helping him get his libtard agenda in front of more people. So to me, I have a, a win-win. Either they read what I do and they realize that I'm trolling the troll and they stop. <laughs> Or they read what I do, and they continue to do the trolling, and they increase my engagement, which gets me in front of more people, which gets me more followers, which means Facebook is more useful for me. So either way, I win. Pro Facebook lesson from Guy Kawasaki, everybody. <laughs> uh, so, so second part of our conversation, though, since, since you were yeah. last here, you, you released Art of the Start 2.0 which is about starting yeah. stuff. Uh, there yeah. are a couple of things I think we want to talk about there. And the first thing I want to talk about is that you, you have the idea when around product launches of around a pre-mortem, yeah. uh, which I don't think people really think about or really know much about. Can, can you tell us what that actually means and how people can do it? Yes. So uh, first of all, this is not my idea. This is an idea that I read about in the Harvard Business Review and if my memory were better, I would tell you the name of the professor who came up with this, but I cannot remember. So if, if you Google pre-mortem, you will find the true source of this. But the concept of pre-mortem is that if you were to go to a staff meeting with all the parties involved in shipping a new product, and if you were to say, okay, so let's all have a status report and you know, let's see what the problems are. You very seldom get a very productive meeting because there's a lot of political agendas going on, right? So the marketing guy, the marketing gal doesn't really want to say engineering sucks <laughs> and there's a lot of bugs and they're way behind because, you know, it's, it's, it's political. It's, you know, why do I want to piss off the person who has to, like, really deliver the software? I'll just remain quiet, you know, whatever, right? So these kind of status meetings don't really work that well. So the way the pre-mortem works is you go and you have the same meet, uh, a meeting with the same people, and you say, all right, so this is an exercise. Let us get a list of all the things that could go wrong that will mean that our product will die or fail. And so, of course, the list starts, right? Sales is inadequately trained. Marketing mispositions the product. Engineering is late and buggy. Now, it's not so much saying my colleague, the VP of engineering, is screwing up. Now, everybody just puts, you know, rather objectively, a list of factors on the whiteboard. And then the exercise is, well, let's go through every one of these factors to see if we can eliminate them so that in advance, we can eliminate the things that would cause us to have a post-mortem. And that's the theory. And I've told this theory to many, many organizations. And you know what? Nobody ever does it. Why? And I think the reason is because everybody thinks, yeah, you know, that's a good idea for mediocre, bozo, clueless companies. <laughs> but we're not like that. We're better and smarter than them. Yeah, we're, bar we're better and smarter. This will never happen to us. We will never blow an introduction. In the same sense, I've also noticed that um, – 
I have the, the Guy Kawasaki 10, 20, 30 rule of PowerPoint, which is that you should have 10 slides, 20 minutes, 30 point uh, font yep. in the PowerPoint, right? And I've told that to literally hundreds of thousands of people. And you know what? People still show up to meet with me. And they, it's even worse than that. They not only show up to meet with me, they show up to meet with me and they say, Guy, I love your book. I read Art of the Start 2.0 cover to cover. I've highlighted it. I've dog-eared it. I've posted padded it. I'm, just, I'm a true believer. I say, okay. And then they whip out PowerPoint and it's freaking 60 slides with an eight-point font. Bullet, bullets will there. never die on PowerPoint. I don't yeah. know why. They just can't die. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, so you just told me you read and love my book, and you show up with something that is total violation of 10, 20, 30 rule, right? And I finally figured out. It's because when they read the 10, 20, 30 rule, they say, ah, guy is talking about the stupid, lazy people with lousy ideas. <laughs> he's, not, he's not talking to me. Because we have a patent-pending, curve-jumping, paradigm-shifting, enterprise-class, scalable product that's going to revolutionize the world, a way to sell dog food online that no one has ever thought of. So we are the exception. We can have 60 slides with an eight-point font. Guy is talking to all the other idiots in the world. It happens every day. Well, speaking of all that jargon, another thing you talk about in the book is that you hate it when businesses use first mover advantage as like a pitch, yeah. uh, which, yeah. is, which is another one of those jargony words. Why? Like, yeah, I, I have my ideas. But. Well, because there's several reasons. Why is very few companies truly have first mover advantage. I mean, you know, are you really the first company, the first person to ever think of this? Probably not. That's number one. So if you say you're first mover, you better really be first mover. Because if you're not first mover, what it means is you are so stupid that you cannot even use Google to figure out you are not the first mover. <laughs> That's just not conducive to getting an investment. You know, holding up a sign in front of you that says, I am stupid, is not really the way to go. So that's number one. Um, number two is that, you know, it, it may be that you are the first mover because there is no market. You know, maybe, maybe you are the only stupid person to do this. That's why you're the first mover. <laughs> so there's a lot of downside with saying you're the first mover. So my, my take on this is, would be that you know, rather than saying you're the first mover, why don't you just show your product? Just do a demo. Just blow people away with what it is. Because you know, it, it's not like the people in the room are going to say, Ah, first mover, we need to invest in this. Apple was not the first mover with a graphical user interface. You know, Facebook wasn't the first mover with a social media network. Um, Twitter was not the first mover. You could say that chat, IRC, was oh, the first mover. I mean, yeah, I mean, you just go down the line. Um, well, Mercedes-Benz truly was the first mover with the car, right? But, you know... Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a Mercedes-Benz brand ambassador, so I'm conflicted. But, okay, that's a case of first mover advantage. But, you know, there are other car manufacturers that have done well. Yeah, well, so, and, and even if you are than, a first mover and you have a good idea, you also have to pay a tax of oh, educating the market on what this thing is. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that's hard, too. Yeah. It would be much better to say we are the first person to reach critical mass than to be the first company that ever 
thought of this. Okay, so you wrote a whole book on starting stuff. There are good, smart people out there trying to launch products, start companies. What's the hardest mm-hmm. part of starting? Like, what, where do most people get tripped up? There, there's, there's, you know, failure has a thousand sources. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think, well, here are the common mistakes. Yeah. Uh, common mistake number one is that you forget that the purpose of a company is to create customers. It is not to create PowerPoint, Excel, and Word files. So many people get focused on, we need to create a pitch, we need to create a plan, we need to create a forecast. So that's danger number one. You know, the killer app of entrepreneurship is not PowerPoint, Word, or Excel. Not at all. So what they should focus on is building a prototype and getting to market. Arguably, if you build a good enough prototype and good enough go-to-market, you never have to write a business plan. That would be the goal. So that's number one. Number two is the assumption that uh, your greatest threat is your inability to scale. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, your, your product is so great. Your service is so great. Your engineers are so great. They're going to deliver this absolutely amazing product on time and the dogs are not just going to eat the dog food they're going to ravish the dog food so by golly you better have all this infrastructure in place and you have to have customer service in place and you have to have all this stuff in place because you're going to hit the ground running and it's going to be like buzz light year to infinity and beyond so you have multiple support staff, you have multiple locations, you have, you know, warehouses everywhere because by golly, you're going to sell dog food by the caseload every second. And guess what? Your rock star programmers are late. Oh, this is recorded, right? It is. So can I? You okay, can. I got to say goodbye to my son. He's going yeah, to tweet go it. for it. Goodbye. Where's he going? <laughs> my son is going to Sweden to try out for a Swedish hockey team. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just got back from Australia. He played in Australia for a hockey team and now he's going to Sweden to play for a hockey team. I imagine so. the Swedes take their hockey pretty seriously. Well, it is I, yeah, I think there are, there are more uh, hockey leagues than there are people in Sweden, but anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, good luck to him. Yeah. Okay, where were we? Okay, we're, we're, we're back on it, and uh, a couple, couple quick questions here before we let you go. One is like, man, you're, you're grinding out. Every day you are finding interesting stuff. You're posting it. You're learning about how these platforms are chasing, changing. You're really marketing yourself. Do you ever just get tired of it? Do you ever just want to like walk away, take a break? Like, how, uh, how do you feel about it? Well, part of it is just my Asian OCD-ness that drives me. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's factor number one. Uh, factor number two is I am the father of four children. And, you know, one is now off to Sweden, uh, but I have another one in college. I have one in high school and I have one in elementary school. So I have a lot of tuition. <laughs> like a lot of tuition. So gotta pay the bills. I, I yeah, I I left Apple twice 
And if I had not left Apple either of those two times, then tuition wouldn't matter. But I left Apple twice, so tuition does matter. So now I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make you cry tears for me. No, but this but this is what you do. This is this is your hustle. I, yeah, this is what I do, and I need to work. And if people want to help me have to do less on social media, they can all start using Canva. That would be <laughs> that would that, be great. That would be a good thing. And then then I will post less and and I I won't post things about vaccination and gun control <laughs> and Hillary versus uh Donald and whatever. Uh listen, you know, seriously, I, I love what I do. I work very hard at what I do. Yes, you do. Uh, the, sec- the secret to my success is that I will outwork most people. I don't think I'm smarter than most people. I think I just am willing to work harder than most people. And if it ever came to a point where I don't have to work for financial reasons, you know, my family is set, life is set, honestly, I would disappear. I do not need this. I don't need the attention. I don't need the visibility and all that. I am perfectly happy to just play hockey and paddle boards. That's all I really that want. That sounds to do. like a pretty good day to me. <laughs> That's all I want to do. I don't need this. I just want to buy a carbon fiber paddle board and I want Oh, the carbon hockey. fiber paddle boards are so nice. I want I, I want are you one a of those too. I am, yeah. I would, yeah. would love to have a carbon fiber one. Those what, are sweet. What what city are you in? Uh, I'm in Boston. So we have all the coastal beaches here on the in the Northeast, Charles River, all all that kind of fun stuff. Paddleboard everywhere. People, people paddleboard on the Charles River. Oh yeah, I've done it countless times. Uh, well, tomorrow morning I'm going for a paddleboard fitting. Believe it or not. Ooh. I'm going to Santa Cruz, and this paddleboard shop is going to go out with me, and they're going to tell me that you know. I need a 14-foot board that's 55 inches wide based on, <laughs> based on my uh, balance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we're, we're going to let you go. I'm going to kick okay. you back over to Ginny and Christine. They have, a, I think, a question or two they wanted to ask you. Thanks so much for chatting with me and taking a few minutes. Thanks, Guy. Appreciate it. Attention, Growth Show listeners. We want you in Boston this November at Inbound 2016. The Growth Show team is going to be there. We are excited to announce that at this event, we're going to have Alec Baldwin in the house talking about it, fellow podcaster. So we hope to see you in Boston this November at Inbound. Check out inbound.com for all the details.